Welcome to 30 Minutes Towards Victory. Hi, my name is Greg Marcus. I'm the pastor of Imperial Valley Christian Center. This is the TV ministry, the TV program of Imperial Valley Christian Center. We call it 30 Minutes Towards Victory because our purpose with this program is to help you to experience the victory in life that God wants you to have. God wants it to go well with you in life. God wants it to go well with you in life. God wants it to go well with you in life. God wants you to have a good life. And so do we here at Imperial Valley Christian Center. Okay, right now we're on the subject of prosperity. We've been talking for quite a few months about the subject of prosperity, and I've been wanting to show you from the Bible that God wants you to be rich, that God wants you to prosper. God wants you to prosper materially and financially. And today we're going to begin talking about how does the money come? You know, lots of times people will hear these lessons. They'll email me or they'll write to me and say, Greg, I, you know, I love that message. You know, I'm excited about it. I think it's wonderful. But, you know, what do I have to do to get the money? How, how does the money come? How does the money come? And that's the same question that I had. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Okay, so uh, we've been talking about prosperity. And I want to talk to you today about how does the money come? How does the money come? But before I get to that, let me um, review a little bit here quickly. And we start off with Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. And I want to show you something real quick here. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. And it says this, But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God. For see, the children of Israel are about to enter into the promised land. And Moses is telling them, God speaking through Moses is telling them, you're going to get into the promised land. You're going to become rich and prosperous. So don't forget about me. And so he tells him, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God. For it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant. Right? I prefer the word here in the King James is translated established. But I I, as I explained to you before, I think it's better to translate it perform, which it is also translated in five scriptures down or six scriptures down, seven. It's translated, that same Hebrew word from the original is translated perform in English. So I like to read it that way. So let me read it to you that way. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may perform his covenant which he swear unto thy fathers as it is this day. In order for God to keep the covenant that he swore unto the fathers, he's got to give them power to get well. In order for God to fulfill the covenant that he swore unto the fathers, he's got to give the children of Israel power to get well. That's why he gave them power to get well, to confirm, to fulfill, to complete, to finish, to bring to pass what he had sworn, the covenant he swore to their forefathers. Who were they? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so we see that the covenant that God swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob involved the promise of material and financial prosperity. It involved the promise of power to become rich. Hallelujah. That's what we've been looking at all these months. So you can look over to Genesis chapter 24 and you can see that the promise made Abraham rich. The promise made Abraham, look here in Genesis chapter 24 and verse 35, and, and this is Abraham's servant speaking, and he says this, uh, let's start in verse 34, and he said, I am Abraham's servant, verse 35, and the Lord hath blessed my master greatly. Who blessed him greatly? The Lord. How, what was the form of this blessing? And he has become great. 
or rich, some of the Bibles translate. He has become great, and he hath given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and men servants and maidservants and camels and asses. So you can see God entered into a covenant with Abraham, right? And I'm telling you that part of that covenant included the promise to make Abraham rich, and now you can see Abraham became rich. And we see that Abraham, a servant, calls that prosperity, that riches that Abraham got, he calls that the blessing of the Lord. Hallelujah. So you can see uh, the promise, the covenant included the promise to get rich. That's what I'm saying. It It made Abraham rich. It made Isaac rich. It made Jacob rich. That's what we looked at before. And then we flipped over to here to Galatians chapter three, because lots of Christians, they like to say, oh no, that doesn't belong to Christians. That's just for the Jews. And so we read over here in Galatians chapter three, verse 13, it says this, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Why? So that the blessing of Abraham. What was the blessing of Abraham? Well, we just read it. The Lord hath blessed my master greatly, and he has become greater. He has become rich. His silver and his gold has been multiplied. Can you see that? The Lord has blessed that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Hallelujah. And you can look at the last verse of Galatians chapter 3, and it basically tells you that we're entitled to that same promise. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed. Those people going into the land of Israel, going into the promised land that we read about back in Deuteronomy chapter 8, those were the seed of Abraham. God said unto them, in effect, I'm going to make you rich, so don't forget me because it's me that gives you power to get rich. Why do I do it? To confirm the covenant I swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That was Abraham's seed. And look what it says here about the seed in Galatians chapter 3 verse 29. And if you be Christ's then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So the promise belongs to us. The promise belongs to us. That promise that God swore to Abraham, Isaac, to Jacob, to the children of Israel, that he would give them power to get wealth, that he would give them power to prosper, belongs to us. And that's what we've been talking about for several months now. I've been trying to show you that from the Bible. Hallelujah. And I want to get it past all your religious objections because I know from my own personal experience that lots of Christians just have religious objections to what the Bible plainly teaches. You know, I grew up in in the Catholic Church, and I don't really remember anybody ever saying this specifically, but you kind of got the impression in the Catholic Church that, you know, material things weren't too important. Spiritual things, that's what was important. Material things, oh, they didn't matter to God. God wasn't interested in material things. And so when I became a Christian, when I I got born again, I started attending a church, and the pastor began to teach about prosperity. He began to show from the Bible that God wanted us to prosper. Well, I was excited about that. I liked that idea. I thought, ooh, that's wonderful. But you know, at the same time, because of my upbringing, my religious upbringing, I was scared. Oh, God. No, God's not interested in those things. And so I doubted that. You know, I questioned it. And so I determined, I liked it, but I questioned it. So I determined in my mind, well, I'm going to look in the Bible for myself. I'm going to study for the Bible, the Bible for myself. And it took me not studying, you know, 
24 hours a day or anything like that. But just whenever I pulled out my Bible, I had the question in my mind, does God want us to prosper or does he not? Does God want us to be rich or does he not? And after about 10 or 12 years of studying in that fashion, I came to the conclusion that I'm at today, which is that the Bible absolutely unequivocally teaches the Bible, the Bible, not your a church, not your church doctrine, not your theology. The Bible absolutely from beginning to end teaches that God wants us to be rich, that he wants to prosper us, that he has promised to prosper us, that he has promised to make us rich, that he has promised to abundantly supply us. Okay, so I did the 10, 10, 11, 12 years. I finally, I finally see the light. You know what I mean? I finally see the, yes, I'm absolutely convinced. There's no question about it. In fact, when, when I hear people question, I think, oh, oh, these poor people, they can't read. They can't read. They obviously can't read. Hallelujah. And so that's why I'm spending so much time teaching on this subject of prosperity. Because I believe that there are people out there just like me that religion has taught them that God's not interested in those kind of things. That God's not interested in financial, material, prosperity kind of thing. That he's just interested in spiritual things. But I want to tell you that Jesus, Jesus came. He died on the cross. He became a curse. The Bible says he became a curse. Why did he become a curse? So that the blessing of Abraham could come on you. Most Christians have never heard that. Most Christians have no idea what the blessing of Abraham is. They've never heard of the blessing of Abraham. Much less do they have any idea what the blessing of Abraham would be. But Jesus died on the cross. He became a curse for us. Part of the reason he did that was so that that blessing of Abraham could come on us so we could receive the promise of the Spirit so that we could be the seed of Abraham, heirs of the promise so that that blessing of prosperity could come on us. Now listen to me. If Jesus became a curse so that the blessing could come on you, then it's not some secondary thing. God did not send his beloved son, his only begotten beloved son. He didn't send him to die on the cross to become a curse for you for something that's not really important. And in fact, when you say it's not important, what you're really doing is trampling on the sacrifice of Jesus, trampling on the blood of Jesus. You're spitting on the sacrifice on what Jesus did on the cross. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You're not intending to, but that's exactly what you're doing. Jesus became a curse so that the blessing could come on you. Listen, let me. I, here's one way I like to think about it that, you know, really illuminates the thing. You know, I, I like to study after Jewish uh, teachers because, you know, Jesus was a Jew. The apostle Peter was a Jew. The apostle Paul was a Jew. Mary, the mother of Jesus, she was Joseph, the the stepfather, whatever, adopted father of Jesus. He was a Jew. All the people who wrote the Bible, they were Jews. Can you see that? Hallelujah. So I like to study Jews because I want to see what they're thinking. And one thing that's interesting about Jewish people is they don't think poverty is a good thing. They don't think that poverty is a good thing. You know, Christians, you, you know, they, they'll talk about holy poverty. No, Jewish people, they, they don't think that poverty is a good thing. Here's one that I, I read recently. It's, by a, an, it's a book called Values, Prosperity, and the Talmud. Talmud is a Jewish holy book. Values, Prosperity, and the Talmud, Business Lessons from the Ancient 
rabbis, and it's by a guy named Larry Kahaner. Larry Kahaner, listen to him. He's just quoting what the rabbis say here about poverty. He says here, the Talmudic rabbis had a great personal interest in discussing poverty because so many of them were relatively poor. Passages from the Talmud frequently reflect this. For example, listen to what the rabbis say about poverty. A poor man's life is no life. A poor man's life is no life. Listen to what the rabbis say. Poverty deprives a man of his creator. That's what the rabbis say in the Talmud about poverty. A poor man is like one dead. A poor man is like one dead. A poor man is like a dead person. Listen to this. Nothing, this is, I really like this one. Nothing in the universe is worse than poverty. It is the most terrible of sufferings. A person oppressed by poverty is like someone who carries on his shoulders the weight of the world's sufferings. If all the pain and all the suffering of this world were placed on one side of the scale and poverty on the other, the balance would tilt toward poverty. In other words, what he's saying is, if you took all the suffering, all the bad things in the world, you placed them on one side, poverty would be worse than all those suffering. Hallelujah. The Jewish people, they didn't think poverty, and they don't think that poverty is a good thing. Now that presents a dilemma for the Christian, because Jesus was a Jew. The Apostle Paul was a Jew. The Apostle Peter was a Jew. The Apostle Matthew was a Jew. All those guys were Jews. Hallelujah. 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 But you know what? You know what strange thing? All the early Christian theologians were not Jews. All of the early church fathers are called. Not a one of them was Jewish. Not a said all these guys who started Christianity, Jesus, Peter, Paul, all the fathers of Christianity, they were Jews. But of the early Christian theologians, the church fathers, as they're called, not a single one was Jewish. In fact, they weren't Jewish, but they were Greek philosophers. (laughs) They weren't Jewish, but they were Greek philosophers, people like Origen and and even St. Augustine and Clement of Alexandria. They were Greek. They are the founders of Christian theology. And you know what? You know what's strange about that? In Greek philosophy, material things are evil. In Greek philosophy, material things are, are bad. In Greek philosophy, material things are horrible. In Jewish thinking, you can see from what I just read, in Jewish thinking, material things are good. God made the material world, so it must be good, the rabbis say. Can you see that? And yet, in Greek philosophy, uh, and all the early church theologians were Greek philosophers, hallelujah, in Greek philosophy, in Greek philosophy, poverty is a good thing. Material things are bad things. Hallelujah. Can you see? Can you see how most Christian thought today has absolutely nothing to do with the Bible? Hallelujah. It has nothing to do with what Jesus said. Can you see that? In other words, uh, Jesus was a Jew. Don't you think he believed more like Jews than those Greek philosophers? Yet the early theologians, they were Greek philosophers. And 
And look at what a miracle. What they find in the Bible is Greek philosophy. Hallelujah. No, no, not that's not the way it is. Any honest person, if you'll take the time and study the Bible from Genesis to Revelation honestly, with an open mind, with integrity, you'll see that there is absolutely no question but that the Bible teaches, that the Bible teaches that God wants us to be prosperous, He wants us to be rich, He wants us to be abundantly supplied, He's against us being poor, He doesn't want us to be poor, He thinks like those rabbis thought that poverty is a horrible thing. God wants you rich. God wants you rich. God wants you rich. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what the Bible teaches. And so that's the point that I came to after these 10 or 11, 12 years of studying, of reading the Bible and thinking about this issue of does the Bible teach that God wants us to be prosper or does it teach that he doesn't care or does it teach that he wants us to be poor? I wanted to know. And now after studying that for, I mean, this was 10, 15 years ago that I concluded that I am absolutely certain I am absolute, there is no question about it. The Bible teaches that God wants you to be rich. So that's the point I came to some time ago. But then I asked the same question people ask me. Well, okay, God, yeah, I, I can see, I can see that the Bible teaches that you want us to be rich, that you want us to be, pro- I can see that you promised to give us power to get wealth. I can see that you made Jesus a curse so that the blessing of Abraham would come on us. I can see that 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9 is true. I can see that 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9 is true. I can see that 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9 is true. That Jesus, though he was rich, became poor so that we through his poverty might be rich. You want us rich. You want us so rich you allowed your son Jesus to become poor so we could become rich. That's how, how much you want us rich. I can see that, God. That's what I'm telling God. I can see it. I can see the Bible teaches it. I can see I'm absolutely convinced. There's no question about it. There's no question in my mind about it. But how does the money come? How does the money come? How does the money come? How do I get this money? Where does it come from? What do I have to do to get some of this riches that you, you want us to have? What do I have to do to get some of this prosperity that you've promised us? And I prayed like that for a number of years. I prayed like that, you know, for quite a while until it finally dawned on me <laughs> what God was trying to show me. And down here in my heart, this is what I heard. He said this. He, he said this. I, I didn't hear anything out here, but just in my heart, God revealed this to me. He spoke it to my heart. And this is what I, I heard. He said, the money comes. How does the money come? That's my question. You The Bible plainly says you promised it to make us rich. How's the money come? God said this. He said the money comes the same way everything else comes from me. By faith. The money comes the same way everything else comes from me. By faith. You see, everything we receive from God is by faith. Everything we receive from God is by faith. Watch, turn over to Hebrews real quick. The book of Hebrews, chapter 6, verse 12, and it says this, That ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. That you be not slothful, that means there's effort required on our part. 
That means, there, you know, lots of people like to put all the responsibility off on God. Lots of people like to put all the responsibility off on God. And, and so, oh, well, you know, if it was really from God, it would happen. But here he tells us, don't be slothful. That lets us know we have something to do with it. We have something to say about it. We've got work to do. We've got work that she being, if we want to inherit the promises, it involves work on our part. We got to do something. We got to do that. Look at the GB, not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. How are we going to inherit the promises? Through faith and patience. That's what God told me. I said, how does the money come? <laughs> After all these several years of asking, how does the money come? How I finally got it. It comes the same way everything else comes from God. It comes by faith. Look here. Look over in Galatians chapter 3. We were just talking about the blessing of Abraham. What is the blessing of Abraham? The blessing of Abraham is what God promised to do to Abraham. The blessing of Abraham is that promise to make him rich, that that power that God exercised towards Abraham to make him rich. That's the blessing of Abraham. Hallelujah. Look here in in Galatians chapter 3, and look what it says here. So then my question is, how does the money come? Okay, so Jesus became a curse, so the blessing could come on us. How do we get the blessing? How do we get the money? How does the money come? God, how do we get that blessing? Here it tells us, Galatians chapter 3, verse 9. It's amazing what you can learn if you actually read the Bible. Galatians chapter 3, verse 9. So then they which be of faith, so then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. So then they which be of faith are are blessed with faithful Abraham. So then they which be of faith. How do you receive the blessing? By faith. How do you receive the blessing? Same way Abraham received it. How did he receive it? By faith. He was a faith man. He was faithful, full of faith, Abraham. Hallelujah. How do we receive the blessing? How are we going to receive that power to get wealth? We're going to receive it by faith. So that's what God said to me. He said, I asked, how, how does the money come, God? Okay, you promised them prosperous. You promised to make us wealthy. But how does the money come? Down here in my heart, I hear, it comes the same way everything else comes from God. It comes by faith. It comes by faith. It comes by, if we're going to receive the promise of prosperity, we're going to have to learn to operate by faith. Hallelujah. Well, when he told me that, I'd been studying on faith for 12 or 15 years. I'd, I'd use my faith any number of times for receiving things from God. For example, when I was born again, when I was born again, For the very first time, I remember I was walking out of my parents' house and they were watching this TV preacher. You know, people like to uh, cap on TV preachers, say evil things about TV preachers. But I say, thank God for TV preachers. Because if it wasn't for TV preachers, I would have never heard the good news, uh, the great news, the fantastic news. I I wasn't interested. You know, I was going to law school at the time. The last thing on my mind was anything to do with God. I had my... 
job. I was Mr. Joe Cool. I was going someplace. I was doing something. I was making things happen. But I'm walking out the door and this TV preacher, he said this. He read from John chapter 3, the gospel of John chapter 3. And he said this. He said, unless a man be born again, he can't. Jesus said is what he said. He said, Jesus said, unless a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Unless a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom. And as soon as he said those words, something happened on the inside of me. Down here on the inside of me, I, 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 something happened and I knew that that was true. And this thought came to my mind. Well, if Jesus said it, it must be so. If Jesus said you have to be born again, then you must have to be born again. And at that time, I didn't know nearly as much about God, the Word of God, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, as I do now. But I knew I got to get born again. So the next question in my mind was, well, how do you get born again? How do you get born again? I'm not talking to anybody about this. It's just in my mind. Well, Jesus said you must be born again. I got to figure out how to be born again. So I, I listened to that same preacher again. And it's TV preacher. And people like to knock TV preachers. Don't knock them in front of me. Hallelujah. I think they're wonderful. I think they're fantastic. Hallelujah. So I'm thinking, how do you get born again? And so one day, the same TV preacher, he went over to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, and he said this, that if thou shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You'll be born again, he said. So I heard that, and I said, okay, yeah, I believe in my heart that Jesus was raised from the dead. I believe in my heart that Jesus was raised from the dead. And now I'm going to confess him with my mouth. He explained on the TV that confess him with your mouth meant to say, Jesus is my Lord. So I said, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Lord. And from that moment forward, my life was not the same. It was changed. I was a new creature, the Bible calls it. I was, in fact, not just, not just as some kind of metaphor, but in fact, I was born anew into this world. My life was changed. The way I perceived the world was completely different. Hallelujah. How did I receive the new birth? I believed something in my heart. I confessed something with my mouth. So now I began studying the Bible. I began hearing more preaching. And I heard them teach about the Holy Spirit. That Jesus told the disciples, don't leave here until the, you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't leave here until you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and they explained and they showed from the Bible that the people who were filled with the Holy Spirit, they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And later on in my own studies, I discovered that in fact, every person in the Bible who was filled with the Holy Spirit, that it tells us anything about every single one that it spoke in other tongues. And so I said, okay, I want that. So I went to church. I raised my hand in the invitation. When they called for the invitation to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I went back to be counseled with. And the man said, do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I said, yes. Finally, I got to yes. And he said, okay, here's what I'm going to pray. And I'm going to put two fingers on your forehead like this. And when I do, you begin to pray in other tongues. Hallelujah. I'm going to receive the Holy Spirit by faith. I'm going to receive the Holy Spirit. God told me, I asked God, how does the money come? He said, the same way everything comes from me, by faith, 
by faith. Hallelujah. So he prayed for me. The prayer was finished. He said, go for it. And I said, I began to pray in other tongues. And as soon as I did, immediately the thought came to my mind, oh, that's just nothing. That's just babbling. That's just nothing. But I'm operating by faith. I'm walking by faith. So I just kept praying. Every day when I'd get up, I'd pray in the spirit. I'd pray another time. And every time I started to, the thought would come to my mind, oh, that's nothing. But I'm walking by faith. I'm walking by faith. Now I pray in the Holy Spirit all the time. It strengthens you, the Bible says. The apostle Paul, he said this, he that prayeth in an unknown tongue builds himself up, edifieth himself, charges himself up. And so that's what I do. That's why this TV program and that's why my preaching is more powerful than most Bible preaching, most church preaching that you hear because I'm charged up with the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the power you feel when we're teaching in these programs. That's it. It's not me. It's the power of the Holy Spirit because I got filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking unto other tongues. How did I receive that? I received it by, by faith. By faith, God told me. He, I asked him, how does the money come? God, yes, you promised us. How does the money come? He said, it comes by faith, just like everything else comes from me. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm out of time, but I'm not finished. Come back next week. I'll see you later. Bye-bye.